Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Paul talked about <laughs> temptation in a very different way. So there are two people whose materials on temptation I want to use. The first is Paul and the, first, and the second is God. Many people don't know that God has a teaching in the Bible. And I will show it to you. And before Paul even talked about temptation and all the risks to it, he started in a very interesting way. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1, let's read it and see. It says, Dare any of you, having a matter amongst one another, to go to the law before unjust and not before saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And that if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know you not that you shall judge the angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Let me tell you this. You see, when we read the Bible, we see what ought to be. God's original design for the body of Christ. And it breaks my heart that sometimes the disparity is so wide and sometimes intellectually you don't even see the possibility of what God talked about happening. For instance, the Bible talked about the unanimity of the faith of all the churches on the earth and you wonder, is it so possible? Because we are so divided and we are so proud. Many of us are so arrogant about what we know we are so quick to interrogate and to negate what other people say. So if God wants us to come, all of us, to, till we all come in the unanimity of the faith, that's going to take a lot of humility for us to say, ah, oh, okay, you do this in your church. Why do you do that? Not saying my truth, your truth. We come together to say, okay, I got it wrong here. Ah, to accept wrong in this generation is hard. So you look at that and you say, is it possible? Then another thing that is seemingly so difficult is the system of justice. Still similar to the first one I mentioned. It's still about correction. These days, if you're not careful, there are some people, if you correct them in church, you won't see them again. Some people, it's just, it's, they, they don't take correction. Always quick to justify so, when you see the kind of heart that the church at Corinth had, even if they had a lot of things they were getting wrong, but that Paul, who wasn't even present, this, excuse my saying this, it's pretty much like the church structure we have. I'm your lead pastor, but I can't be here all the time because we have many branches. So, Paul hears that something is going wrong in the church at, at Corinth and he writes and gives an instruction of discipline for the person. And the letter was read out and the person did not feel embarrassed. Are you getting that? 
and the person did not leave the church. In fact, in the letter, even though I'm not sure this one is always necessary, in the letter he said the person did. Ah. <laughs> we try it in some places. You know, and said this is the punishment. And then later in Second Corinthians he said, bring him back, you know. And all of that. And you just, do you know the kind of maturity the kind of understanding it will take. Eh? And this one I just read is another example. Imagine we could solve our problems internally. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. Right now, because of the way things are, I'm not sure I will blame anybody if they take anybody to court. In fact, if two believers, it's embarrassing I'm saying this, but it's true. If two believers want to do business, I will say, use a lawyer. Even if you want to use a Christian lawyer, at least use a lawyer. Because believers, the things we hear these days, the believer will swindle you nice and neat. Your brother in Christ. And he will feel no remorse. It's a shame. Yet, it doesn't change God's original design. God says that the believer in Christ functions with such a wisdom that is superior to any legal system in the world. He said the least amongst us ought to be able to solve matters better than the most advanced legal system. That's what he said. Such that when two believers have a quarrel, we should just get a wise person amongst us. Say that was wrong. Okay. Okay, this is what we are going to do. Because we have the spirit of God. So he said, I'm hearing that two believers have a problem and you stand before an unbelieving judge to judge your matter. Huh. He said, don't you know you will judge angels? Don't you know you will judge the world? If you can't judge the world, how come you can't settle quarrels amongst you people? And you're wondering, what does this have to do with temptation? Everything. Paul was prophetic. He saw where the world was going and the legal system. He knew that a time is coming where the legal system will approve things that God doesn't approve. So you win some cases in court, but not with God. He knew. Because they form laws, you know, and then maybe many countries operate democracy. And well, in a social political construct, you, you can say that applies. But in the kingdom, we practice theocracy. It's the word of God that determines how we live and how we act. Praise the Lord. So, and that's different. So, as he begins to enter the subject of temptation, he now says in verse 12, he says, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 now, is your Bible open? Read it together, one to go. All 
So he's saying, this is how the wisdom of God supersedes any legal system. He said, even if it is technically legal, doesn't make it expedient. See how another translation puts it. He said, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it is spiritually appropriate. Did you hear what I said? So in some parts of the world, there are some things that, that within the legal construct you are permitted to do. But God says it's wrong. God says it's wrong. And I say this with all the love possible in my heart. The fact that you're in a country that promotes same-sex marriage does not change the fact that it's a no-no for God. And in a thousand years, no matter how popular it gets, it's still going to be a no-no for God. This keeps breaking. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow and break it down for you. I know, explain it. See, when it all comes down to it, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We are all justified freely by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I'm not coming from any superiority. I'm just telling you the word of God. Please, are you with me? So he says, just because something is technically legal does not mean it is appropriate. And so now he wants to revisit the concept of legal and personal freedom. And he uses verse 13. He said, you know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. He says, well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing. But that does not excuse, that is not excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. He said you cannot live just yielding to your appetite. You have an appetite, you are not an appetite. So there must be control. There must be control. He says, oh, since the master honors you with a body, honor him with a body. I like this. And when I see this, two things come to mind. The body that, you know, Christ sacrificed for us. And then the body that we are so privileged to have our physical bodies. He said, God has honored you with the body. Honor him back with your body. He said, God honors, honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He will treat yours with the same resurrection power. He says, until time. Remember that your bodies were created with the same dignity as the master's body. He says, you wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? He says, I should hope not. He says, there is more to sex than mere skin to skin. This is how the word of God keeps our priority no matter what is popular. All right? 
It says it's deeper than that. There is no such thing as a fling. You can never have a fling. The fact that you convinced yourself that it meant nothing does not mean it meant nothing. It says sex is more than skin to skin. It is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As it is written, two become one. It says since you want to be spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. This is the message translation. Leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In all sexual sins, in sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Hallelujah. But anyway, I said all of that to say this. When you're talking about temptation, you must embrace first and foremost the superiority of the wisdom of the word of God. Against popular culture, against what you think, against what you feel, embrace the superiority of the wisdom of God's word. Against what is legal in your country, the word of God. Let me not say against, let me say above. Hallelujah. What I'm saying to you is very important, especially in this day and age. If somehow, somewhere in your mind, you have embraced the ideology that God is so extra, and there are some things that he abominates that aren't that bad, you are already vulnerable. You're already vulnerable. So you have to, you have to believe that God knows what he's doing. God is wise. And every, he's not a control freak. Whatever he says is bad is actually bad for you. Whatever he says is good is actually good for you. You ought to believe that. Hallelujah. And that's where you start. It is from this ideology and mentality that you, you now approach the subject of overcoming temptation. It's important. So now we want to talk about overcoming temptation. Now here is what is going to fascinate you. The first teaching on overcoming temptation was done by God himself. I'm not talking about Jesus. God the Father. Look at Genesis chapter 4. To give you a background of the story, the Bible says that Cain and Abel gave a sacrifice to God. And Cain just thought it was about presenting the works of your hand. Remember what I taught you about reasonable service. You don't serve God based on how you feel he ought to be served. 
For Cain, I'm a farmer, so it makes sense that I will offer my farm products. But in Abel, sacrificing a lamb, he was prefiguring the true lamb of God that would take away the sins, that would take away the sins of the world. No one ever offered a sacrifice without blood. That was what Cain did wrong. You know, in you know those book of Bible stories. You know, in book of Bible stories, the picture of Cain's sacrifice. When Cain was sacrificing, in that picture, his crops were bad. You remember that picture? But the Bible did not tell us. The Bible did not tell us that Cain gave bad crops. The Bible never told us that Cain gave bad crops. It's not in your Bible that Cain gave bad crops. He did not give bad crops. The reason why God had respect for Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's was because of blood. That's why. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says the blood that's why the Bible says the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than the blood of Abel because Abel's not Abel's death or oh boy 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 how do I manage this anyway all of that is besides the point so now when God did not have respect for Cain's sacrifice. Cain was angry. Cain was angry. And this is what the Bible says. Verse 5. But unto Cain and to his sacrifice, to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was wrought, and his countenance fell. Now, this is where the teaching on temptation happens. Look at verse 6. God said... Why are you angry? Why are you angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? Will you? You will be accepted if you do what is right. Cain was not ready to receive correction. He said, why are you angry? If you did what is right, would you not be accepted? Look at the humility of God. His creatures, or his creature is angry. And he comes to the creature, that, ah, why are you angry? I just think about God. The kind of heart that he has. So why are you angry? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. And you know what he says? Oh, boy, boy, boy. He says, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching, crouching at the door, eager to control you. He said, but you must subdue it and be its master. That's a teaching on overcoming temptation. God taught us about sin and how it works. He's telling Cain, ah, you don't know how sin works. You can stop it now. Now is the time to stop it. It's not that serious. If you did what is right, 
you will be accepted. In fact, you have the chance. Okay, oh. Some other person would have said, oh, this is what I should have done. Go and do your own. But Cain was rotten, angry, and jealous. God tells him, ah, watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is approaching. You have not, commit, you have not done anything wrong now. But sin is close. It's trying to control you. Subdue it. Be its master. This is the time. Can I tell you this? This is one of the most important things to learn about overcoming temptation. That sin isn't just about actions. It's about premeditations. That before you ever do anything, there was a process leading to what you eventually did. So God was telling Cain ahead of time, sin is crouching, it's approaching. You can do something about it now. Because guess what? Before you kill someone, it starts with anger. And before fornication, there is flirtation. And before you steal, there is covetousness. Sin always has a root. A root that was left unattended and then got out of hand. You must control it whilst it can still be controlled. Many people fight temptations when they've already lost. Did you hear what I said? So the best time to stop sin is when it is still at its formative stages. In Luke chapter 22 verse 31, in Luke 22 31, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Same thing his God said about sin at the beginning. Sin is at your door and desires to control you. He said, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He said, but I've prayed for you. Hallelujah. But I've prayed for you that your faith fails not. So it's a skill to be able to See sin at its formative stages. That's the time it must be killed. That's the time it must be stopped. That's the time. You don't tame an animal when it's grown. Are you getting what I'm saying? So God said... Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So now God teaches us that you can master, you can master sin. It can be mastered. You can understand the workings of sin and keep it at bay. Keep it subdued. It says subdue it, be its master. So 
So how do you master temptations? How do you master sin? I gave you the first key already. Number one, you must embrace the wisdom of God. I'm saying it again. You are vulnerable if you think God doesn't quite know what he's saying. Maybe he's not quite in touch with the times. He doesn't know what's up. <laughs> and number two way to overcome temptation is to know that you can master it. You know. I can get better at spotting the patterns of sin so I can keep it at bay. Let me tell you the truth. If I know people very well, especially during prayer time, sometimes I can tell when someone is either facing temptation or has already fallen. There are vital signs. It's just the same way you put your finger on someone's neck and you say, ah, are you sick? Because the temperature is high. There are vital signs. There are some things that come with sin automatically. For instance, there was no book on how to handle yourself when you are a sinful man. But the moment Adam ate that fruit and he heard the voice of God, he ran away. He went to hide. No matter how confident you are, if you are a sinful person, there will be shame in your life. You will hide when no one is pushing you, when no one is looking for you. So there are some patterns, especially when it comes to God. If you ask a sinful man to pray, he won't pray with confidence. I'm telling you. Praise the Lord. There is just a posture. That guy in the temple, the story Jesus gave, he said he won't even lift up his head. He bowed his head down and smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to be a sinner. And even if he was more justified, you know, he was justified rather than the Pharisee, God still has better for his children. Come on, are you with me? So you know that it can be mastered. And how do you master it? We talked about stopping it on its tracks. You stop it in the formative stages. Let's see what James said about this. Um, James chapter 1. This is such a powerful text. I wish I could read the whole thing to you. From verse 13. James chapter 1 from verse 13. Are you there? It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. That's the formative stage. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then if he does nothing about it, it says, then when lust hath conceived, 
the Greek word here is the actual word for impregnation. So he's using the metaphor in the natural conception, all right? The seed is put and then the fetus begins to grow until you have a full-blown baby. That's how sin is in the formative stages. Most people, listen, the first month of a pregnancy is not obvious. The second month is not obvious. The third month is not obvious, but something is growing. And most people, this is when they become alert, when your stomach is already big, water has already broken. Now, that's when you want to do something about it. He said, when one sin is conceived, you, you will deliver. <laughs> you will deliver. Hallelujah. He says, once lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So that's that's the process. So you must master how sin is formed. It starts with lust left unattended. You are drawn away and enticed. It starts in the mind. Run away. You can stay in one place and travel. You have gone far. Hallelujah. You can just let your mind travel far. Oh, the things we've done with our minds. And that's the, that's the stage. Now, let me ask you this. Whenever you read about the temptation of Jesus, now, this is my personal understanding, you know, and subject to superior Bible interpretation. Yeah, who knows? I can just... But when you read the temptation of Jesus, what do you think? Do you think it was literal that the devil actually took Jesus by hand and flew him to the pinnacle of the temple? So people, as they were carrying out their temple devotion downstairs, they looked up and said, ah, who are those? Are they about to come? And they said, oh, no, no, it's the devil. is tempting Jesus. Don't disturb them. Is that, is that what you think happened? And that Jesus started up in the wilderness, but then they flew physically to a temple, then flew physically to the high mountain. From the high mountain, he saw all the glories of the world. Is there any such mountain in the world? And then Jesus said, get it behind me, Satan. And he said, okay. I said, wait, 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 take me back to where you carried me from. <laughs> Thank you. Is that what you think happened? It happened in the arena of temptation. In the mind. Listen, you can be in the wilderness praying and travel. You can be on the pinnacle of the temple and still be in the wilderness. You can be on the highest mountain. You can see all the glories of the world. And still be where you are. 
I believe that that's what happened. And that's what happens to us most of the time. So if anyone saw Jesus, they would have seen just him in the wilderness, but he was being tempted. Is that not how we pretend like we're okay and we're faced with temptations, you know, and we're tempted to do something and someone, maybe for instance, someone is you know, asking us to get into some shady business, things we won't normally consider, but because of how hard things are financially, we are considering it, but in that time, we are still coming to church, going to the office, doing everything, yet in our mind, we are traveling. We're in the process of a very serious, 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 serious transaction. We're fighting, but we look okay. So if you had seen Jesus, you would have seen just him. Guess what? Though the temptation was in Jesus' mind, he was speaking out. Listen, some of us, you know, when we think wrong thoughts, we shake our mind. That's not how to fight temptations. You don't fight thoughts with thoughts. You don't shake it off. You speak out. Did you hear what I said? There are some thoughts that must not be left unattended. Let me tell you something. When you see something tempting, whether you shake your mind or not, the picture is there. The only way to handle what has already been conceived in your mind is with words. That's the only way. That's the only way. If you don't know how to talk, you can't handle temptations. You have to talk. You have to talk out. And sometimes it will look like your own is too much. Ah, Peter was just caring for you. Why would you say, get it behind me, Satan? I see Satan in what he said. That's why. And you think sometimes we allow ourselves to be slaughtered. We don't respond as promptly as we should. When a friend comes innocently, he says, ah, what's this on your neck? He, that's how an auntie that had tumor. This is how we started. Then, in your mind, they say, God forbid, in your mind. You say, I reject it in the name of Jesus. Not me. Not me. Not me. Not me. Oh, listen, you don't have to learn to talk. Because God taught us that sin can be mastered. Temptations can be mastered. And then Jesus showed us how with words. Glory be to God. So you stop it on, stop it on his tracks with words. And then you don't talk when it has already happened. Let me show you something. Turn your Bibles, Galatians. Trust me, this has just started. I have a lot of good stuff for you. Galatians chapter 
I beg your pardon. Verse 16. This I say that walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. <laughs> I wish I had enough time to talk about this. This is another key here. Verse 17. This is what you need to know. He said, for the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Uh, 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 uh. It means whoever wins the preliminary stages wins at the end. You can't control your actions. You don't have as much control over your actions as you think. What you need to really fight stages. Because constantly, the flesh is warring against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. It is whoever wins. If the spirit has conceived, you will give birth to spiritual actions. If the flesh has conceived, you will give birth to sin. So it is the preliminary stages. So, for instance, you are fighting pornography addiction. There are preliminary stages. It is not when you are already trying to stop it that you should have stopped it. You need to look for the root cause. There is something that is exposing me to this. It might be some pages I'm following on social media. It's always a connection. Guess what? For many people, you're just idle. That's why many people that I've counseled will say, you know what? When I'm in school, I don't have that problem. The moment I get home, holiday. Some of you know what I'm saying. It now looks like it's more difficult. Why? Because of your preoccupation in school. You were so busy focusing on, you know, every, every morning, 8 a.m., you know you had to be at lectures, at class. And then you're dead till four. And then you have assignments. And then you have to wash your clothes. And then you have to eat. And, you know, and all of that. But by the time you wake up at home and you know, today I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and I don't mind, it's the devil's workshop. Hallelujah. See, some people, just by changing their work patterns, defeat habits. I'm telling from personal counseling. So the first question I would usually, one of the first questions I will ask is, what do you do? Give me a rundown of your daily schedule. Oh, I just graduated from the university. I'm looking for a job. I say, go and look for somewhere to intern. Go and look for somewhere to intern. I can pray for you. Just look for somewhere to intern. You are idle. Don't forget, God made us to be beings that must be applied to purposeful duties. If you break that order, you will allow wrong things to germinate. It's an order of life. If you leave a ground fallow, you don't plant, something must grow. Weed will grow. Are you getting this now? So well, that's something you must recognize. But here is something that many Christians don't talk about. You see, Paul's approach to overcoming temptation was as real as he could get. 
There is a text that people hardly read when they're talking about overcoming temptation, but it's so important. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. A lot of people already know 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? It's true. But 1 Corinthians 7, 2 is also very important. Everybody read 1 Corinthians 7, 2, 1, 2, go. Listen, it's as real as it gets. He said, Marry. See, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There's a reason why, when you were five, even though you had crushes, what you were feeling is not anywhere compared to what you feel now. And then as you grew older, your body began to change. That was nature's way of telling you, hey, bros, it's time. What are you still doing? Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a reason why your body developed the parts necessary for sex at a certain age. You were not born that way. It began to develop. That's nature's way of telling you it's time. And so the problem is, you allow that development to meet you and you are still writing jam. <laughs> Just facts. And you have... Men of 26, 27, 28 say, Pastor, I don't really know why. What do you mean you don't know why? <laughs> it's so hard. It will be hard. <laughs> it, will be, it must be hard. If it is not hard, we have to pray for you. Something is wrong. <laughs> you know, if I counsel couples... And I just say, so how are you overcoming temptation? If they ever tell me, ah, no, never, ah. I will push the girl as I say, something is wrong, girl. Don't marry him. <laughs> you must, something, ah, you must exercise, ah, ah. Yeah? Even, even your pastor, once or twice in the dating phase, woman of God will remind me, man of God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> you know, and it's more difficult when you're a pastor. They will preach your sermon to you. So, remember what you said? <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. Paul did not stop there. Look at verse 3. He said, let husbands render unto his wife due benevolence. See, let me tell you this. You know one of the ways, okay, for instance, I think some African parents do it. When they're taking your children outside and you don't want them to embarrass you by just going to look for food and say, give me, give me. What do you do? You feed them at home. 
You are not catching the mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not catching the mystery. <laughs> they just caught it late. Yeah, they caught it late. <laughs> the cloud has already moved since. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, married people here present. I'm happy you speak in tongues. It's very good, very important. But in marriage, <laughs> eh? <laughs> it says, there, you see, there is a type of generosity that is not being taught in the church. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm teaching you the word of God. He called it benevolence. Due benevolence. <laughs> Adjectives. <laughs> we only talk about giving to God, giving to the poor. In the context of marriage, as it pertains to sex, it's a husband's render to your wife. You have to handle that well. It will reduce your prayer. Are you listening to me? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. To reduce your prayer. It, there are some prayers that are not really, it's not necessary. Eat well. I say, wives, your husband. In fact, he gave rules. He said, verse 5, defraud, he called it, he said, if you don't do it, you are fraudulent. Defraud ye not one another except for a consent of time that you may give yourself to prayer and fasting and come again together. It says, so that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So he said there are some temptations that can be avoided. Are you listening? It's there. He said to avoid temptation. It didn't... Why is it that when we're learning how to avoid temptation, people hardly talk about this? Meanwhile, he said it literally, verbatim, to avoid temptation, let every man have what? So there are some aspects of this that is not about confession. I know who I am in Christ. I'm just, say, marry. Marry. <laughs> Please, are you listening? I'm joking, but I'm not joking. In fact, I'm not joking at all. So the problem is, we have a culture that is against God's design. You have people who should be heading their own homes, still battling year two exams. That's the problem. Let me tell you this. I believe by 18, Okay, say ah. By 18, you should be getting ready to. I know it's difficult. But let me say this. You have passed, I know. But (laughs) But I think you should try to make it a point of... (laughs) So you are ready, Abby. 
Okay. But listen, do this for your children. Make sure that at the age of 18, if they don't want to marry, it's because they choose not to. That at 18, they already have a decent level of financial independence and maturity. It's not at 18 you start having the talk. You must have had it since. Are you getting what I'm saying? Have it since. When you hear Joseph and Mary, they were teenagers. Have you studied history? They were teenagers. Most of the disciples of Jesus were teenagers. What do you think? A a mother brought two of the disciples, her sons, and said, let one sit. That already tells you their age. Do you think they were 30, 32, that, that someone will, the mother will carry two men? <laughs> you know, it already tells you. Hallelujah. And it changes everything. But when you have, you know, and I know it's not as straightforward because, especially in this country, the two-year-old man is still trying to find his footing financially. But I just said all of that so that you know it's not that not anything is wrong with you. It's not even as if you have not really mastered new creation realities. I just told. <laughs> and unlike any other temptation, that you should totally, absolutely extinguish. This one, you can't extinguish it all. So are you getting this? That's, that's, that's important. Um, it said clearly in the word of God to avoid temptation. Hey, Mary, there is also an instruction. Render to each other. So if you don't do the second part, the first part will not count. Hallelujah. There are some things I would have said. But, um, I don't know the age of everybody here. <laughs> Hallelujah. But yeah. What then do you do when you're ripe for marriage, but somehow you're not married? How then do you handle those temptations? It still must boil down to who you are in Christ. That's a fact. And so Paul says, he says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you this. This is one theology that has several applications. When you ask me, what does it mean that I have the Holy Ghost? It means eternal security. Because if you have the Holy Ghost and he will never leave, that's assurance of salvation. Are you getting what I'm saying? Number two. It also means you have power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So there are charismatic advantages. So the Holy Spirit in you talks about justification. It talks about charismatic, you know, gifts. 
And then also it talks about sanctification. But it also talks about consecration. Listen, when God spoke from Sinai, from that day it was called the Holy Mount. It was holy just because God chose to dwell on it. So anything that God takes ownership of is sacred. It can no longer be for public use. And that's the ideology from which Paul is teaching. You see, cups generally are for drinking. Plates are for eating. But there are some cups and plates that were used in the Old Testament temple. And because they are for Old Testament temple, it means they belong to God. And it means they are holy. You can no longer use them for eating and drinking just because they belong to God. And that was what Belteshazzar got wrong. When he just brought those cups and started drinking, he saw a writing on the wall, straight up. You have been weighed, measured, and found wanting. Hallelujah. And that was just the type of who you are. So he now says, how about you walk in the consciousness that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He says, if you walk in that consciousness, if you don't only stir up that consciousness for power, you stir it up for consecration, what would your life be like? Some of us, when we're only saying, you know, the Holy Ghost is in me, when it's time to pray for the sick. But he's saying, it has an application in consecration and sanctification as well. He says, will you now take the temples of God and be joined to a harlot? He said, God forbid. He says, you were bought with a price. Then, what did he say? Glorify God with your mortal bodies, which are God's. Tell me now, have you learned anything? Yes, now, I want to give you the last um, and important key also. Now, someone says, ah, Pastor, I know all these things. And I'm still struggling. And I don't blame you at all. It's just human pro pro propensities and proclivities. So what they do? <laughs> there are people who know their body is devil of the Holy Spirit and are still struggling. Because when it all comes down for it, from, to it, from an intellectual standpoint, it's not, it's not that straightforward. Some of you are pretending as if you don't know what I'm saying. It's not that straightforward. So what then do you do? There is a system that God has given us very smart and this is what oh you also learn that in the time of you know in that same first teaching genesis 4 god came to cain and said where is abel and he said am i my brother's keeper there is something about people who are yielding to sin they avoid accountability They avoid accountability. That's, that's one of the first steps of backsliding. 
you begin to create a structure and an environment that can allow you to do bad all by yourself. Thrive in that contrary act. So now, some of you are so free, you can be away for four days. Nobody's looking for you. No accountability. How are you? Fine. Where were you? Somewhere. Hallelujah. The moment you have that, they're going to run into trouble. Because this is what the Bible says, Galatians chapter 6. You know, the Bible also says, iron sharpens iron. So does the man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Sometimes we don't always know what we should do. But there is a system in the realm of the spirit. And this is the, this, never forget this. Anything you want to do, keep before your eyes. So you must make sure that you have modern day examples of everything you want to be. So when, for instance, look at your last searches on YouTube. I should see that your searches are consistent with what you want to be. It's a law of the spirit. One of the most important things you can do every day is to make sure that you keep being inspired. Because in the realm of the spirit, instead of teaching people, okay, step one, prophesy, this is step one, step two, step three, just come in the company of prophets. It will rub off on you. This is something you can benefit from. Listen, this applies to every aspect of your life. If there is anything you want to do and you don't find the zeal to do, create an environment around you. Make sure that everywhere you look, people are doing the things you want to do. You must be inspired. You must be, if you want to be a good musician, make sure that it's not just your village people that say, ah, for the whole world, nobody sings like you. <laughs> Constantly keep within your face people that make you feel like you are just starting. It's the law of inspiration. It's spiritual law that what you will see, you will become. So, I be a fisherman like Peter. The water is literally your office every day. But it never occurred to you to walk on water. But the day you see Jesus, all of a sudden the interest is kindled. And you say, is that you? Ask me to come. There is something about seeing your friends do something that draws you. Listen, that's why the Bible says, be not deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you. Evil communication corrupts good manners. You can't be a good person with bad friends. It's not possible. Because anything, it rubs off on you. Have you noticed that your cliques, you have some slangs that other people will not understand. And how did, how did you develop those slangs? One person used to say this, the other person used to say this, and then you all roll together. After a while, it became communal language, like a country. You have your own Lingua Franca. 
You are more impressionable than you think. Learn this and use it to your advantage. When I don't feel like praying, I don't say I don't feel like praying. I go to where people are praying. And even if I am too lazy to stand up, just sit down. You want to change your prayer life? Hear someone pray every day. Hear someone pray every day. It might just be a clip of prayer. Just pray, play it every day. And the same thing happens when it comes to overcoming temptation. It says, Galatians 6.1, put it now. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore. Many people think that overcoming temptation is personal. It's not. It's a corporate job. I have a ministry to you to help you overcome where you're struggling. And vice versa, we're meant to help each other as a body. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. So there is that clause, considering yourself lest you be. So you don't act invisible. So a sister is having problem with sexual sins, then brother, you say you are going to help her. No. Uh-huh. So there must be that consideration. Uh-huh. So it must be, you must be in a position to help. Name of the Lord, not a trigger. So he says, you which are spiritual, restore. Restore. Hallelujah. I remember years ago, someone said he was struggling with some stuff. He said, what do I do? I didn't answer. I just, are you free this week? said, yes. I said, come and stay with me. So we're in the same house. So when I'm praying, I'll wake him up. And then we'll pray together. And in the afternoon, when I'm praying, I'll wake him up. I'll just tap him. We'll pray together. In the evening, you know, I'll say, study this. This is what I'm studying. Study. You know, after four days, I asked him, how far that thing? He said, no. Uh-huh. I said, now you understand. Create a structure around you. <laughs> that encourages, that fans the flames you want to see in your life. This is why no matter how strong you are, you need a local church. And it's not just to attend a good church. Don't be a stranger. Make friends. And when you make friends, don't forget the context of your friendship. Define it well. I met you in church, so we must support each other spiritually. When we hang out, we must have spiritual conversations. We can talk about other things. I want to know, ah, how are you doing? I can even talk about your favorite team, you know, and all of that. But at the end, just normalize saying, uh, let's, before you go, let's just pray. Or say, you know what, brother or sister, I'm, I'm having this struggle. Can we pray about it? And it says, restore in the spirit of meekness. That's one thing church people don't know. There must still be that sense, that fact, that you are not better than them. 
there must be meekness involved, not superiority. Until we bring that meekness element, people will not be able to express themselves and say, this is where I'm struggling. We form too much in church. We form too much. And that's why we're not as effective as we should be. People are struggling and we can't help. Many of these things, we've not even studied them. We don't have the answers. We just castigate. We stigmatize. And we're so unforgiving. Can gossip. If something happens to someone, you know, many times, shamefully, the person will have to leave the church. Because the next day, when the person comes to church, with eyes, people will tell them, I, I know. <laughs> I know you think I don't know, but I know. And ask silly questions. Hallelujah. But if we were more meek, if we overcome that simple, let me tell you something. There is something about <laughs> human nature that makes the weaknesses of others more obvious than our own weakness. And so, spell in the Bible had the audacity to pick up stone, ready to go and kill another person that was caught in the bed of adultery. They had the audacity to. So Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And none of them could. So what is it about us that despite our own weaknesses, because they're not catch you. Because they didn't catch you. I've discovered the most guilty people are usually the most vocal. It's a coping mechanism. Yes. Hallelujah. But he said, restore with the spirit of meekness. Imagine if your brother knew that if he heard you did this and you did that, he, before he says why, he will first cry with you. Hug you. Pray with you. And then you, you just know, this one has my back. Do you know how strong we will be? Imagine if we, ah, I wish I had more time to teach you this. There is something called the PR of God. The PR of God. God has PR. You need to know this. That when David heard that Saul had been killed, he said, what? The Lord's anointed killed? He said, tell it nothing, God. Don't discuss it on Insta blog. Don't discuss it on Tunde Head Not. Church people don't know this. Let me tell you the truth. Behind closed doors, we can lambaste ourselves and say, you, you did this. You for whom Christ died, you did this. But in public, that people are castigating a man of God, then I add my mouth. No. You are not trained. You are not trained. It's the PR of God. When David committed the sin with Bathsheba, Nathan said, because of what you've done, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the hidden. So you have to be particular about what the unbelievers are saying. 
it should matter to you. So we must have a system where we talk to ourselves. You know, there are sometimes things get out of hand. You have to set the record straight so that they don't think we're all like that. But don't always resist the urge. <laughs> what they don't ask you, I, I wish people knew, you can be right and be in trouble. <laughs> you can be right. Because let me tell you, the anointing, hey. <laughs> let me tell you this. Eli had a scandal. His children were doing the wrong things, extorting money from the temple, but he was still the priest. And even though God had lifted the priesthood from him and was going to call Samuel now, a man of God caught up in a scandal, still a man of God. He still had more experience than Samuel. Guess what? Eli was in his room. Samuel was in his own room. God called Samuel. Eli did not hear it. Samuel heard it. Samuel did not know what he heard. He thought it was Eli that was calling him. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, you called me. Eli said, I didn't call you. He went back. He heard his name again. He went, he, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. The third time, Eli heard not know. But experience makes you better than someone who is hearing it. He said, that's God. Don't worry. Go and lie down. The next time you hear it, this is how to respond. Let me tell you something. Even the man caught in a scandal can still teach you. A person might not know 99 things and know the one thing that you so desperately need. Because guess what? That man in a scandal, Samuel's ministry might never have started. So, listen, there are many fathers in the faith that have done many things that you maybe you're not proud of. But our generation, the transition of God's move to our generation is still dependent on them. Never miss it. It doesn't matter your view on tithing. It doesn't matter your view on whatever you think they are doing wrong. We need them. Because there are some things, I know from experience, there are some things, if someone does not give you, you can't get it to. <laughs> There's something called transgenerational anointing. You can trace the lineage, Catherine Coleman, you can trace, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, sir. <laughs> if you miss it, you miss it. So when you see some contradictions. I'm not saying support it all. What is wrong is wrong. Hallelujah. But you guard your heart. It doesn't mean if it stretches your hand over you when you're sick. Uh, don't, 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 don't get it twisted though. <laughs> anointing is anointing. Grace is grace. You know, there was a man of God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The man of God said he is the Elijah to come. People were arguing doctrine with him. And of course, he was not. And then they made a mistake. <laughs> they said, okay, in this city, rain has not fallen in years. If you are the Elijah, it should be Elijah commanded rain to fall. Command rain to fall. That's the thing. These guys, despite all their errors, power is power. Yes, so the man just looked up. <laughs> 
said a few things. Before they could run under a shade, they were drenched. <laughs> I think you get me now. So, <laughs> you have to be smart. You have to be smart. Because scared men, imperfect people can still bless you. It's a fact. It doesn't in any way justify what they are doing. And in fact, we don't have to be so scared. There are some things that are avoidable. And I know how pained you are, especially when the people of the world start talking. But at the same time, I said all that to say this. Let he that is strong. And for that to happen, we have to have a system of accountability. So feel free to be a pain in the butt. What's the, what's the most decent way to use that expression? Pain in the neck, let me say, <laughs> to someone. You notice the friends that we have that have some tendencies, we know them. And let them know respectfully, I'm on your case. Don't worry. I love you. I'm not trying to... Brother, no, 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 no. <laughs> you say you are going where? <laughs> Both of you will be alone. No, bro. Okay, I'll, I'll come. I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you learn anything? Rise to your feet. Let's pray. So listen, let me tell you this. Every month, listen to a sermon on overcoming temptation. Every month. Because this is something you have to quicken your consciousness repeatedly. Every month. Some of you, you need to do it every week. I'm being honest. You need to do it every week. So this is how you just arm yourself, remind yourself. We have a couple of good sermons on it. Sex and other drugs. There are some things I said there I didn't say here. That old man, you know, and this is a good one to listen repeatedly. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000. Blessings. <laughs>